Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. My name is Lynn Wilder, and this is part five with my husband of 48 years, Michael. Michael and I left the LDS church, ooh, what, 16 years ago now, I believe, and found our way to faith in Jesus. Mike is tying up his story, and he and he's actually in the Bible at this point and reading some things that surprised him. Mike, thanks for doing this for us. It's good to be back. Uh, so to pick up the story again very quickly. So actually that night when I, we ended, we were talking about Luke 18. And actually, I actually, if you remember, I was the chairperson of the Redeem the Dead Committee. And I had- We were co-chairs. Co-chairs, okay? But <laughs> if you read the book, you'll find out that I did all the work, okay? Uh, so, but anyway- And the anyway, book's name is Unveiling Grace. It's Unveiling Grace. Here, you can see it, okay? <laughs> and there's a chapter in there where called Breaking the Pharisee, which is Mike's chapter. Right, chapter 18, which the work that was done for me, God did it in Luke 18. So it's kind of interesting. But um, I came home from um, uh, the temple. I was actually in the temple one evening um, doing my uh, church calling. And I got home and, and for some reason, I didn't pick up the Book of Mormon to read. I saw my Bible there and it was actually open to chapter 16, just kind of laying open there. Like how it got there, I'm not sure. So I said, well, this might be a good place to start. And I started reading about chapter 16. And in chapter 16, um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about the love of money. And it just rang bell to me that, well, you know, the Pharisees liked money. And Jesus said, you can't, you can't honor God and money at the same time. It's one or the other. And I was just thinking one of the, the temple recommend questions that you have to do or say yes to is that you're a full tithe payer in the LDS church. And therefore you have to pay money to be able to go to the temple to save yourself. And eventually when you go back to do it again, to save other people, I'm just thinking, well, why would God want to charge people to save people? It just didn't sound right. It just kind of flew in my mind and flew out again. Then moving on down, uh, uh, as I was reading, uh, in chapter um, uh, 16, uh, came up uh, to an interesting verse called verse, uh, uh, Luke 16, 16. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, for the law and the prophets ended with John. And from this time on, the good news was being preached. And that's paraphrasing the, uh, the scripture. But that really hit me. For the law and the prophets ended with John, not John the Revelator, but John the Baptist. And here I am in the temple going through, the, per se, the Mosaic law. Uh, we have a current prophet at the head of the church. And Jesus has said in the New Testament, the prophets ended with John. He was the last great prophet. And again, that was ringing a bell. Like, whoa. And then just moving on, I mean, it's amazing how God just stacked all this stuff up. And as I read into, I think, chapter 17, um, 
it brings us into the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we all know that story uh, quite well. And the rich man died and he went to Hades and the uh, uh, poor beggar man died and he was in the arms of Abraham. And you see this conversation going back and forth that the rich man was being tormented, uh, but the Lazarus who received suffering on the earth now was in the comfort of Abraham's bosom. And the rich man asked, can um, uh, Lazarus come and give me, you know, just a drink, a, a touch of water in my tongue? And Abraham says, no, we, we can't do that. There's a great gulf between us and I can't cross over and you can't cross over here. And just that verse, bang, it hit me that, you know, the whole concept of the temple is elevating people from a lower kingdom to a higher kingdom, going from the lowest kingdom to the middle kingdom or from the middle kingdom to the celestial kingdom to live with God. And here it says in the Bible, you can't do that. Once you die, it's done. It's, it's, it's a done deal. And you can't jump from you know, Hades to heaven. It's not allowed. But that's the whole concept of the temple is to save people, save your ancestors. So, you know, it's just like God was this boom, boom. And I've never had this happen before in my life. Then I'm reading on and I get into chapter 18. And this um, is a parable. Uh, Christ said, you know, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a, a publican, which is a tax collector. And so here you have two separate men one of extreme worth in the community and the other one is a tax collector was not valued very much. And, the, and having been in Israel and being, being on, temple, on the Temple Mount, you know it is the top part of Jerusalem. It is the highest point in Jerusalem. So when it said two men went up to the temple to pray, they had to come out of their houses and go up to the area of the uh, temple grounds. And they were standing outside the temple. And the Pharisee prayed thus with himself. And now that gives you, this is King James version here. When you pray thus with yourself, you're kind of just glorifying yourself. And he said, thank God I'm not as other men are. Now think about that. He's saying, thank God I'm not like these other men. Hmm. What's interesting, years ago, when I was in a high priest quorum, there was another guy we were talking about other religions and he actually said these words, thank God we're not as other men are like the Baptists or the Presbyterians or the Catholics or, you know, whoever it might be. And it just came to me. It's like, whoa, that's, uh, that's, that's uh, not really very nice. And he goes on, he says, as other men are as this, as unjust extortioners, or adulterers, or even as a tax collector. So he's really downgrading who this other person is there. You might be next to him, might be seen from a distance. And so he goes on and he states, I fast twice a week and I give all that I have in tithes. But if you go back to Jewish law, and this is what Jesus was really pointing out in this parable, under Jewish law, you only had to fast once a year. But this man was so righteous, he was fasting twice a week. Or 
And also that he said he paid tithes on all that he had. Mm-hmm. And the the Jewish law stated that you only paid tithe on part of your goods, not on everything. It's like he was looking at God saying, hey, you need to raise the standards because I, I'm way above this, this law that you've laid out. Well, and- let, let me just real quickly explain why the publican doesn't like the tax collector, right? The, they're both Jews. The publican is a leader in the church. The tax collector, though, doesn't keep himself clean because he interacts with Gentiles because he works for the Romans. So he's a Jew who's kind of like dissing his own people by working for the Romans. And he takes taxes for the Romans. He gives the Romans what they want. But then he creates whatever he wants to say people owe above that. And that's how he gets paid. That's how he becomes rich. So this publican, anybody probably who was Jewish, would have outcast and very much hated these tax collectors. And yet the wonderful thing about God's story is, right, who you think is righteous often isn't. And that's the point here. Right. Well, if we go back and look at Matthew, what was the job of Matthew before he started following Christ? He was a tax collector. Yeah. And what's that song about Zacchaeus? Uh Uh-huh who was in the tree. And we all know that he was a tax collector and that Jesus had dinner with him and all the people were saying, oh, what an awful thing for Jesus to do. So because here he he's defiling really, himself, right? Right, right. So here we have this unique situation of the Pharisee and the tax collector in this situation. So now we switch over to the tax collector And he's beating his chest and he's looking down, won't even look up to the temple. And he's stating, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Now, when you hear that, that means he's a sinner in his current state. He hasn't repented per se. He's just saying, I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do about it, which is really all of us. You know, we're all sinners. We wake up as sinners, and we go to bed as sinners. We can repent all the time we want, but we're still sinners in our nature. And so he beat his chest and says, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. Mm. So we have these two extremes, one who's declaring to be righteous and one who's stating he's a sinner in his current state. So now we have these wonderful words from Jesus. He says, I will tell you, that the one who boasted of himself will go down as a humble person and one who humbles himself before God will be lifted up. So everything is this opposite of what we think. We would think that, oh, the righteous man, God's going to honor. No, no. You know, he's, he's declaring himself righteous before God and nobody is righteous before God. But the humble man who says, I can't help myself. I need a savior. That and who admits that, that's the person who God will lift up. And what happened, even though I have read this verse many, many times, it like hit me like a brick this time. 
because I'm sitting there with my temple recommend in my pocket, having just come back from the temple, who I was doing all of these righteous things to get in the temple. You know, you couldn't get in the temple if you didn't declare yourself as clean and righteous and holy. They would never have given me a temple recommend. And I go to the temple. I come out of the temple feeling really great. Wow, God is really proud of me. See how holy I am? And I come home and I read this verse. And like God says, no, you're not so holy after all. You know, I mean, if I have to put you in a category, I'm going to put you in the category of the Pharisee. And well, we know what Jesus said about the Pharisee. He will be brought down and the sinner will be lifted up. So that changed my whole paradigm thinking of what is good, what is bad. If I think I'm righteous, I'm really being arrogant before God. And I had to start thinking, who am I? Who am I deep inside me? Am I a righteous Pharisee or am I going to humble myself before God? And this started the cracking of the foundation. And it's not easy to look in the mirror yourself and say, who, who am I really? Who am I really there? Am I this righteous man who can stand before God and say, see what I have done? Or is this a person that will go to the foot of the cross and say, I'm yours, save me, as, as is stated in the Psalms. And as my wife stated herself years ago when she gave her life to Christ. So how did this, did this change what you were doing daily or was all this happening in your head? You know, I mean, it just, it's happening in my head and it's, it's causing tension in my body. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm not going to go over immediately to the state president and say, I'm out of here, but it's helping me understand where my son was coming from, where he was reading, you know, you know, he got in trouble in the LDS church by saying that he believed by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone, he was saved. And here I am, his father, a high priest in the LDS church, saying that you're only saved by these ordinances. And again, takes us back, you know, to one of the articles of faith in the LDS church. You know, you are saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Well, what's the laws and ordinances of the gospel? That's the Mormon gospel, where Jesus says, just come to me as you are, and I will make you through your belief in me, a righteous person, not by your own actions, but you are purified and washed by his blood. You are atoned for your sins and you you become a new creation in Christ by your belief in Christ. Then you change. You still make mistakes. You still sin, but God's got you covered. And once that's done, it's a done deal. It's not like going to the temple your whole life and realizing, well, I hope I've done enough on my deathbed. But when you're saved by Jesus, it is sealed. It is completed. Okay. As it says, what, what is that verse, Lynn? Is it John 6.24? 5.24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life and will not be judged because you've been judged already at the point of faith, right? But has crossed over from death to life. So, so this started the big change in my life. Okay. Uh, And, you know, I'm still dug into the LDS church, you know, but I'm thinking, I'm seeing these conflicts between just these couple chapters, chapters 16 and 17 and 18. Now I can go through the Bible and I can see conflicts with the LDS church just about in every chapter I read. Mm. But God, as interesting, took me to those chapters immediately coming back from the temple. He says, this is a good place to get Micah. Not Micah, but, you know, he got Micah. Now he's going to get me uh, through the word. So he got Micah with the word. Now he's beginning to pick on me uh, by trying to get into the word. So now, you know, just those three chapters, 16, 17, 18, started changing. And, and, and then I got hungry for more. And then I started searching more and having more questions. Not that I'm talking with the bishop about but I'm talking with God about. And your wife a little bit, huh? <laughs> well, she was way far ahead of me, okay? She was way far ahead of me, so. But I saw you getting there. I, yeah. You know, once Micah read the Bible, it profoundly changed him. I read the Bible, God opened my eyes. I gave it up to him. I knew you were headed that way because I could just see the clicking happened in your brain, right? I I had so much faith that this is how God works. At least that's how he worked with Micah, how he worked with Matt, right? How he worked with Katie. And then he'd done it with me. And I just totally relaxed and knew you were getting there. Yeah. Now, there was kind of an incident. There were a couple of incidents that brought it home for you. Right. So moving on here again, remember, I'm going to the temple on a regular basis. And one of the things as I'm getting into the Bible, uh, I'm reading. And one thing in the LDS church just absolutely bugged the heck out of me is the concept of polygamy. Okay. Yeah. Now, the LDS church, they don't practice polygamy now because, as I always say, they have good attorneys and their attorneys tell them not to practice polygamy because you'll be put in jail. Uh, but it was officially ended in um, um 1890 uh, by the prophet. And so you have to read chapter 18 and get more detail. I don't have time to go into it now, but get Lynn's book and read chapter 18 and you'll find out what I've discovered about polygamy. But in Mormonism, it, it states that Abraham practiced polygamy to be justified real quickly. And so I said, okay, that's what it says in Abraham, uh, the book of Abraham, which is Mormon scriptures. Um, the I said, well, that should be verified in the Old Testament. I went through the Old Testament, through Genesis and all over everything. I could not find one verse that justified polygamy. Okay. So I've got this conflict between the Bible concept and Mormon doctrine concepts. This is in DNC uh, 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 132, um, uh, where it really states about Abraham um, um, saying that polygamy is okay. But I started, you know, thinking about this and I said, well, you know, the only way to really get a handle on this, I'm in the temple, you know, once, sometimes twice a week because of my calling. 
when I get to the celestial room in the temple, I'll just sit down and pray about this and God will tell me and it's going to be all solved. And so one night I was there, it was a late, as the last session going through, and I'm sitting in the celestial room in the temple, Temple Nogus Temple, not too far from our house. We can actually see it from our house. And I'm there in the room by myself, and I'm pondering, and I'm saying, okay, I just, not on my knees, you're not supposed to get on your knees in the temple, but sitting on the couch all by myself in that room. I just asked a question, which I expected no answer. Mm-hmm. And I asked God, I says, is polygamy an eternal principle? Okay, because in Mormon, Mormon doctrine, it is. And just sat there and the strangest thing happened. It's like I heard an audible voice on my right ear from behind me. It's like I was reaching behind. You could walk behind that couch in the in the the celestial room of of the temple Nogus temple I was in. And it was a voice that whispered in my ear. It said, no, it is of man. It is not of me. That's it. No dissertation, no pages of analysis. It was just a no. Well, here I am in a Mormon temple And the devil can't speak to me there because I'm protected because I'm in the Mormon temple. And the the God of Mormonism that I believed in really wasn't going to say anything to me. But God is so powerful. And he can speak to you on top of a mountain, in the depths of a cave, on the ocean, in a valley, wherever you call out for him, he can speak to you. And of all places to answer my prayer, he did it in a celestial room. And that was so sure, that voice was so, it was a whisper, but it was, it was. I actually looked behind me. I thought I was just imagining things. And I said, I just heard the voice of God. And yes, Polygamy is not of God. It is not practice in heaven with God. It is a doctrine of man. And it's an evil doctrine of man, as far as I'm concerned. And as far as the Bible's concerned, it, you know, it was used and it was practiced by men, but it wasn't given the okay by God. God tolerated man. But it's not a commandment that we should be doing. So when did you give it up? Was there a point in time where you said, I'm all in with this Jesus of the Bible? Well, you know, the next Sunday, God just was really just beating me. I always say he just started beating me up with the Bible. The next Sunday after his experience in the temple, you know, you had quit going to church, you know. I mean, I'm paying your tithing. I'm doing your calling. You're sitting at home in bed when I go to church eating candy and, you know, uh, and everything else, reading the Bible. And I'm mowing the yard. Well, it's wintertime. But but anyway, uh, scooping the snow off the driveway. And Katie and I go to church one Sunday morning, okay? And this is the next Sunday after this experience at the temple. So we're standing kind of in the front on the right-hand side of the chapel about four rows back, 
And they have an opening song called Praise to the Man. Okay. And they start singing this song, Praise to the Man. Um, do you have it in front of you? I, I I forgot to get it out, but let me let me let me look it up here real, real quickly. Okay. Um <laughs> I, I know it's I know it's in the book here. I've read it. Okay. And here we go. So we're singing this song, okay? And it starts out, this is a song about, well, I'm going to tell you who it's about, okay? It says, praise to the man who communed with Jehovah. Jesus anointed the prophet and seer. Blessed to open this last dispensation. Kings will exhort him and nations revere, okay? Great is his glory and endless his priesthood. You think that's Jesus. Ever and ever the keys he will hold. Faithful and true, he will enter his kingdom, crowned in the midst of the prophets of old. This is a song about Joseph Smith. I could not sing it. I started to sing it. I could not sing it. Okay. So I'm kind of embarrassed. Everybody's just singing this with their glory, you know, everything and they can talk about, you know, sing. And so I thought, I'll just mouth these words real quickly. You know, nobody will notice I'm not singing. And I started singing and it's like God and plank printed in my mind like a text message, just boom. And he said this, do not even mouth those words. For this is a song that is an abomination before me. You shall sing praise to no man, but the man Christ Jesus. Boom. And I never have sung that song again. And I was really done with the LDS church. Because when God tells you one thing in the temple and he tells you not even to mouth those words about Joseph Smith, you think I should get the hint. And I could not sing that song. And that's when I knew standing there in a sacrament meeting, it's, it's over. It's, it's, it's finished. Okay. Because I, I have to sing a new song now. And can I sing a new song, Lynn? <laughs> Amen, Mike. We our lives have have been turned upside down, haven't they? And things have changed profoundly. I'm excited we get to talk about all of this uh, together as co-hosts now. Find Mike and myself at unveilingmormonism.com. And of course, Unveiling Grace Podcast. You can find the book Unveiling Grace on Amazon. Grace and peace to you, Michael. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you, and may God bless.